Alrighty, church. Well, it's a privilege to be able to open God's Word here for you tonight. If you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be remaining here for uh, the remainder of tonight. This will be our, our key passage. And to some of us, I think this is probably a, a, a very common passage, perhaps a very well-known passage. But um, I think there's some, some very valuable truths that we can draw out of God's Word. And I will, I will just start off and we'll read from verse um, number 14 to the end of the chapter and, and we'll pray. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase under more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who has taken captive by him at his will." So I understand that this is perhaps a very a common passage that we, we have read through, um, the, the, the passage here being of, of vessels, of some of gold, some of silver, some of earth, some of wood. But I want to draw out uh, tonight uh, two, two main principles. The first one being um, how we ourselves might be an honourable vessel to God. And then the second, how we can help others come back or uh, be removed from the snare of the devil and be able to, to be an honourable vessel as well. The Apostle Paul in uh, verses 19 to 21, he, he paints this picture of a, a great house. And within this house there are, are vessels and he, he uses this illustration to teach us um, how we can be vessels, how we can be used of God and how we might be useful to him. He speaks about how there are vessels of honour and to dishonour. But in, in this illustration of this house, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he speaks about the master. When we think about the master, we think, we think Jesus, the one whom we serve. The vessels, whether they be gold, silver, wood or earth, are us as people, things to be used of God at his will. The house is an illustration of the church, of us together. In, in, that, in this great house, there are many vessels. 
regardless of the shape that they take. And the foundation of that house, the Jesus Christ has sealed it by he knows our name. That is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus knows our name. And, th- and through this, this, um, this illustration that uh, Paul is using, he, he's going to draw out how we might be a vessel unto honour or to dishonour. We see that in verse um, 20 to 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. And here's the important bit. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. We're going to look at a moment in a few things that we are called to purge ourselves from if we are to be holy, if we are to be of value, if we are to be sanctified, pure, separate from sin, if we are to be meat for the master's work. That word meat has the idea of being readily used, like this piece of paper is readily within my ability to use, prepared under every good work, has this um, understanding of it has all of its bits together. It's not filthy, it's not um, unprepared, it is, it is ready to be used. So it's not just uh, honourable, it's not just something that we would, um, we would want to use, it's not just something sanctified, um, clean and ready, it's not just something available, but it's fully prepared. And so if we want to be this, there's some things that we're going to have to purge ourselves from. But before we we get into all of that, I do want to say that the things that we're going to go through, they can can be a hard thing to to do, to practice, and to live out. But regardless of of who you are, regardless of where your standing is with God, regardless of how the world views you, anyone can be a vessel honourable, sanctified and meet and prepared for the use of God, regardless of who you are. You know, there are vessels of gold and silver, vessels that we as people perhaps view in a, in a high light, perhaps that we would put great value on, perhaps um, vessels of authority. You know, we might think of our pastor, of deacons, of leaders, spiritual leaders, of fathers in the house, and we might say, These would be vessels of gold and silver. But if they aren't going to do these things, then they will not be honoured, they will not be sanctified, they will not be meet, they will not be prepared. And those very same gold and silver vessels can bring dishonour to God and he cannot use them. And the same is true on the opposite. There are people that we might view as being wood and earth vessels. Perhaps... It comes to your mind, cleaners or people of a a low um, middle class standing. Or perhaps you think of a stay-at-home mum or something that our society views as being less. And yet God would say that if we would do these things, that we can be a vessel unto honour that he can use, regardless of, of what people view us as. And so I just wanted to go through tonight a few things that we ought to um, purge ourselves from. You'll see in um, 
In verse 21, it says, If a man purge himself from these. And the first of these that he's talking about, we can find in verse 16. And the Bible reads this, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You know, when we think of profane, that word quite literally just means ungodly, corrupt, common language. It has this, this evil notion of how we speak. Vain, empty, it is useless. It has, it has, no, it has no, um, no weight to it. And so what the Apostle Paul here is teaching is that in the church, in this place, if we are to be a vessel honourable to God, if we are to be a sanctified vessel, a vessel meet for his use, then we, we ought not to... Um, interact and be around these things. He actually uses this word shun. And when we think of shun, a lot of times we think of just pushing something away. Perhaps we might be going and we might be walking along and we'll hear someone talking about something profane or vain or empty and we'll just consider, you know, I just, you know, I just don't want to be a part of that. I'll just walk this way and I'll leave it be. You know, it's, it's someone else's problem. But that's not what this word shun means. It actually means to stand around, to encircle, to to single out. You know, profane and vain babblings are not something that we, the church, that Christians ought to just avoid. It ought to be something that we call out for exactly what it is, and that's sin. And it ought to have no place in our presence. We ought to shun profane and vain babblings. I think sometimes we might have a little bit of a hesitation at that, at the idea of when when someone around us would be talking about things, that the responsibility would be on us to call that out. And we'd be like, ah, you know what, I I don't really want to kick up conflict. I just want to leave it be. Perhaps it'll just go away. Perhaps it won't really be as bad as all that. But if, you, if we read on in, uh, where are we here, verse 16, he, he gives a very clear reason why it must be done this way. For, in the second half, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You know, it's not enough for us to just say, you know what, That evil, we're just not going to touch it. We're going to keep ourselves clean and the church is going to be A-OK. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that we need to call it out and we need to deal with it. It ought not be allowed to continue. Because if it is, if if that communication is is tolerated and just left unaddressed, then people will just continue to talk about it. And it will continue to grow and continue to grow and it'll just increase unto more and more ungodliness. So the, the, the first point I just had here was that we ought to shun profane and vain babblings. And the second, one, second point I have here is, is very similar to it. And it has this idea of, of dealing, and I'm going to use the word dealing with heresy. You know, When profane and vain babblings are allowed to continue and they are not addressed, they continue to grow into more and more ungodliness 
and ultimately it'll continue to work out and it will compromise the faith of the believers. And we have a look here in verse 17, we'll read on. And their words will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the faith, the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. And their words. So whose words? People who continue in profane and vain babblings that we continue to allow ourselves to be exposed by, those people's words will just continue to get worse and worse and ultimately will lead us into the snare of the devil and will cause us to be unfit for the master's use. And I want to say this because I think all too often I myself am guilty of this. I think I can, I have this mindset that I think I will be okay surrounding myself with those people, with interacting with them, with allowing them to just continue conversing and allowing myself to soak that up as if it's not going to have any influence on me. You know what? The Bible is very careful to tell us that these two men, in verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus, that because this was allowed to continue, because they allowed themselves to continue to be around this, that it caused them even to lose the very foundation of their faith. And we think, you know, that wouldn't be me. That that couldn't be me. I would never doubt. Okay. Well, here's two that did for that very reason. And we ought to be careful. The third point I have is, is found in verse number 19 in the second part. And it is to be purged from iniquity. The Bible says, And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, to be a vessel fit for the master's use, quite simply, we have to be pure. We have to be sanctified. And that means to be separate from such sins. You know, we have to depart iniquity. You know, God won't use yesterday's pot full of yesterday's scraps for today's dinner. Why would he use a vessel that is full of the filth of yesterday today? We wouldn't use it for dinner. So why then would we expect God to just allow that and then use us and bless us and use us as the instrument of, of, his, uh, of his abilities. It, the Bible reads in um, verse number 22, in line with this thought, flee youthful lusts. Youthful literally just meaning young and lusts, our cravings, longings, desires for what is forbidden by God. You know, immediately our mind goes, to the the thought of sexual immorality. And that is 100% true. We ought to flee these things that will cause us to fall into iniquity. But in in another sense, it's also our immediate impulses to do those things even a new believer knows to be wrong. You know, we, we often complicate the Christian life and we build it up to all of these 
these just these like really in-depth sins where, you know, if you say this in a certain way, that could be considered sin. And we, we complicate it when really just sin is sin. Lying is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Murder is a sin. All just getting back to basics. And I think we could go through 101 different sins, even just bringing it back to the basics. But to, to, to be separated from sin, the easiest way is just to be close to God. And he continues to say in this verse, in verse number 22, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, for them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know what, if we want to have righteousness, following after faith, after charity, you know, we just got to get close to God. Just put simply, we just got to get close to him. Be in his word. Be in prayer with him. Leaving the iniquity and just being with him. But it has, it has a, an, another understanding in verse number 22. In the, in the latter part, it says, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, as Christians, not only are we called to shun, to call out, to remove sin from our lives, but we're also called to do it with some other people, with people who want to serve God out of a pure heart, with them, working alongside. You know, we need, we need good influences. It's not enough just to, to push away the sin, to, to clean the house and then not fill it with anything. We need good influences. When it comes to, to helping others, though, helping others who are perhaps fallen into the snare of the devil, who have been drawn away or who aren't perhaps the, a, a useful vessel to him, we need to... We need to consider a few things. The first thing to remember when trying to help someone who has uh, fallen away from God is not to answer their questions. If you have a look in verse 23, we'll, we'll see specifically what questions to avoid. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Foolish, this word literally just means godless or a lack of respect to God. Unlearned, without instruction or discipline, uneducated, rude, stupid, questions for the sake of questions. You know, we, we have people who come to us, I'll give you an example, people who come to us and they ask us questions about, about the creation or for advice in our life or what does this particular scripture mean? But really, they don't actually care about the answer. They're not actually looking for an answer. They, as a matter of fact, if you ask them to go and consider what they've asked and actually search God's word, they won't even care to look it up because they're not really looking for an answer. They're just looking for the next thing to talk about. And the scripture is very clear. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. This word avoid quite literally is exactly what it sounds like. It's to go around, 
to not answer, to decline, to just forget about that. Don't try and address their questions. Rather, or, or why not to? Because if you do, it makes it very clear that knowing that they'll do gender strifes, it'll just kick up more and more conflict. But instead of that, instead of going to try and answer these questions that really there's never going to be an end to them, he teaches in the next verse, in verse number 24, how we are to gently teach instead. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. The servant of the Lord must not strive. You know, our motivation, our desire, our actions ought to have no room for conflict. We are not trying to, to get into an argument with someone to win them back to Christ, to, get them, to give them an opportunity to get right. Regardless of how right we think we are, we are not there to get into a conflict. And I think I, myself, am perhaps the most guilty of this, of wanting to have an argument with someone for the sake of an argument. I love that sort of conflict. And I love to just to go back and forth and not even really caring what the end result is, but just throwing questions back and forth, back and forth. Like, let's just fight, 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 fight. And that's wrong. Plain and simply, that's just wrong. Instead of answering their questions, we teach the truth. A good example would be someone comes and asks you, what's God's favourite movie? Do they really care what God's favourite movie is? No. They have just thought of an instant question and they're looking to try and get some kind of response so that they can have some kind of a conflict with you. Forget the question. Use this as an opportunity to teach. Apt to teach. Able and willing to teach someone the truth. Forget the question. Teach the truth. Use the opportunity of their question to have a chance to, to give them even just a snippet of truth about who God is. You know, the scripture, this book, is not an answers book to every question we will ever have. This book's purpose is to teach us the heart of God. And when people ask us questions, our approach ought not be, here's how I can answer you. It ought to be, let me show you what God thinks about this, how he thinks. And so as we, as, we, as we teach people and as we avoid the questions and we get straight to the heart of the matter, teaching them the truth of the scripture, it's also going to take patience. In verse 24, apt to teach, patient. Quite simply, when they ask you another stupid question the next day, that's what foolish means. Do it again. Use it as another opportunity to show them just another snippet of who God is, of what he's like. Forget the question. Be patient. Don't let your strife, don't let it turn into an argument. 
Just teach the truth. You know, we'll want to answer to their questions. We'll want naturally to turn it into an argument, to turn it into a battle of prides, of who's the better one. And it's just not worth it. Teach the truth. Be patient with them. Why? Because every time they ask a question, you get one more opportunity to teach them more about God, to draw them back, to give them another opportunity to get right with him. The third one and the last one we'll look at tonight, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Your meekness has this idea of gentle, of humility, bringing oneself love. And I was, I was stewing on this. Why is meekness so important when instructing someone who opposes themselves, who opposes the truth? And I was talking to, to Phil about this today, and he, he, he mentioned something that really stuck with me. Because Jesus, ultimately, he was meek. Because he came from heaven in meekness. And it's the meekness of God that made his message attractive. That made us willing to listen. It wasn't the fact that he was coming as the God Almighty to burn and beat us down. It was the fact that he humbled himself and came to us. That's what made us willing to listen. You know, because he wasn't looking for a fight. He had every right to condemn every person he came across and that he didn't. He just simply didn't because he wasn't there for a fight and a battle. He was there in meekness, hoping to bring us back. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You know, when we're wrong and we know that we're wrong and we're in an argument with someone, and it's both just a big battle of prides. Even though we know in of ourselves that we are wrong, we really, really, really don't want to give them the satisfaction of letting them know that we know we're wrong. Does that make sense? Our pride, because we've let it turn into a battle, because we've let it come into conflict, into strife, we, when we even though we know we're wrong, we want to come back. We want to get right. We want to come back and be an honourable vessel. But we just can't escape that snare. You know, when we're teaching people, meekness will make all the difference. When we're teaching people the truth, meekness is the mark. What meekness does is it makes it easy for the faulty party to be able to, to keep some of their pride and to be able to just get that right. To be able to, to just come to you and go, you know what, bro? I, I had that wrong. We're not fighting about it. And I just want to get that right. I was wrong. Let's move on so that we can go together. You know, it just brings it down to someone who just cares for us. It turns the, the teacher from someone who's just there to fight us 
to someone who's there to help us. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who have fallen into the snare of the devil, that they've been drawn away. And we have a responsibility to not only be honourable vessels ourselves, to not only be vessels fit for the master's use, but to help others get right with God too. I hope that was a, a blessing to you.